0: Welcome to Bridging Chicago, a podcast that aims to connect our listeners to Chicago's business, community, cultural, and charity leaders, brought to you by SATC Solution Center L3C. And welcome to another episode of Bridging Chicago. I am Savannah Roundtree, one of your hosts, and sitting with me today, we have Alan Kaplan. Alan, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah. So um, currently, Alan is with Robinson Financial Group, which is a generation of um, insurance salesmen and his family. And so we're going to talk about how he got there and how um, I think their group takes a little slightly different approach to insurance. And so um, we'll get to that. Um, But so, as I said, uh, you're the third generation of insurance in your family, correct? That is right. Uh, Chicago, born and raised?
1: Chicago, born and reared.
0: Okay. (laughs) Um, And, you know, knowing this is a family business, did you know from a very young age this is what you wanted to get into?
1: I really didn't. I was unsure. Mm -hmm. My uh, father... Uh, definitely did not want to get in the insurance business. Okay. <laughs> uh, he came back after the war and mm-hmm. uh, had dreams of being an artist.
2: Okay,
1: and uh, w- actually lived in France and oh, wow. <laughs> painted and sculpted there for a couple of years. And uh, was living as a broke young man mm-hmm. and. Uh, yeah. A friend of his died, and he had to bring bring the guy home, mm-hmm. and he never got back. Okay. Ended up on my grandparents' couch, <laughs> and my grandfather kicked him and said, you got to get a job. <laughs> and uh, he ended up in the insurance business and never escaped, but mm-hmm. uh, he was a very successful insurance producer.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, my story was uh, I never knew what I was going to do,
2: okay. uh, but
1: I kept my options open. I studied accounting in college, got okay. my CPA, looked around. Out of college, uh, dad purposely did not give me any direction. Somehow I ended up in the insurance business after all, yeah. and uh, that's how I got here.
0: Yeah. Um, was your first insurance job with your family's company, or did you sort of branch out first?
1: I started out with Northwestern Mutual. Okay. I was there for six years, mm-hmm. um, and it was uh, kind of a out of the blue. I got a phone call from my father, and he said he and his then business partner had decided to break up their firm, and he asked me to start a new firm with him, okay. and uh, and we did.
0: Yeah. yeah, that's what I was gonna ask, is how that transition happened, and so you guys started a new firm together, and um, we actually just got to, or I was just sitting in a presentation um, that uh, Robinson Financial is giving to our firm, and I think you sort of started to tell a story of how your father started to take a different approach to insurance, um, so could you tell us about that?
1: Sure. All insurance producers were pretty much trained and raised uh, by one insurance company. Right. And so each insurance company had its own of what they called agents representing them. Agents mm-hmm. represent the insurance company. Uh, brokers represent the client.
2: Right.
1: So uh, my father, uh, like almost every other insurance producer in the country back in the 60s and 70s, um, he started in the 50s, but they were all agents of one company. So right. my dad was with a company called Equitable. And um, he was a very successful agent with Equitable, one of their number one agents. Uh, and, but to be successful, you had to represent the client. And in representing the client, uh, oftentimes he realized that the product that Equitable had either due to medical considerations or just because of the product's nature, uh, the client could do better with a different carrier. So he started placing business outside of equitable equitable found out about it and Mm -hmm. then went to him and said, we don't want you to place business outside of equitable. (laughs) And, uh, he said, well, I can't do that. I have to represent my client. And my dad was one of the first, uh, independents in the country. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And, um, It was great. Uh, Being independent, all the insurance companies wanted his business, so they wined him and dined him, and he established relationships with insurance companies. But what he quickly found out is an independent, he had no clout with the carrier. Sure. So when it came down to crunch time and getting a favorable underwriting Mm -hmm. decision or all of a sudden something got messed up with servicing of a policy, he really didn't have any place to go. Uh, he was sitting in a, a study group with other fellows from across the country who had also gone independent. And there were six of these guys in the room. Two of them said, we've got an idea. And their idea was to create, today it doesn't sound so novel, but back then it was mm-hmm. a, a co-op. Okay. And they wanted to co-op their business, and they did. And mm-hmm. they created what was uh, now considered a producer group. It was the very first one and the name of that producer group is M Financial. Okay. And uh you can go on the website and read all about
0: mm-hmm. it. So there are other um insurance producer like companies that are also involved in M Financial. Is uh, it's still a co-op today? Uh M
1: Financial, yes, it's been going on for over 30 40 over 40 years. Oh
0: wow. okay. And
1: uh, uh we're the first Chicago office. Mhm. And uh, it's a very successful organization. And there are other producer groups that Mm -hmm. emulate M, uh, but uh, M has pretty much uh, dominated the uh, marketplace uh, Mm -hmm. in its target market, which is the affluent marketplace, affluent, educated people. Mm -hmm.
0: And so this is able to give you um, that leverage of an established insurance company, sort of like the names we're all more aware of.
1: Well, the carriers that uh, M represents, mm-hmm. where they've uh, created uh, special relationships with the carriers, are household names. Or What the carriers deliver to M is that we have our own underwriting teams, we have our own service teams, uh, we ultimately ha- now have, and we have had for many, many years, our own uh, exclusive products, mm-hmm. which are priced based on M Financial's clients' mortality experience uh, in pricing based on average policy size and how long does the business stick to the books. Mm -hmm. All three of those are are the major components in pricing and M is able to deliver to his clients with these exclusive products a a much better priced life insurance policy.
0: Okay great and so um, you had your family-owned business for a while but now um, you sort of merged with Robinson Financial. And so um, just sort of tell us about how that came to be, how you worked through the transition of being uh, just a solely family-owned business to working with this other group as well.
1: Sure. Well, part of our business, working with businesses, business owners, and and affluent individuals Mm -hmm. uh, in benefits, uh, business continuity plans, and what we call wealth transfer plannings. Business continuity plans... Is something that I've had direct experience with a few times. Mm -hmm. The first time was with my father. Um, He died, and uh, I had to buy out my mom and uh, continue with the business. Mm -hmm. It all worked very successfully. Second is back in the mid-'90s, I merged the firm with another firm. Oh, really? And uh, that firm, uh, its uh, principal shareholder, Mm -hmm. he was looking for business continuity because he – had an issue is that he was getting towards retirement age, and he needed someone to stand behind him that uh, he could give a lifetime promise for service right. and make good on it. And mm-hmm. I was his lifetime promise for service, yeah. and that worked out. So I bought him out, and mm-hmm. and we're still very good friends. And he's retired, and uh, so I've experienced two direct business continuity plans: one death and one retirement. And all of a sudden, I realized, whoops, time has gone by, and now I needed a business (laughs) continuity plan. Out of the blue, I got a phone call from a friend of mine in the insurance business, Elliot Robinson. And uh, Elliot, his firm had been contacted by M Financial, and they were courting his firm. And he said, I know you've been there since day one. Um, Can you tell me about it? I said, well, it's a great thing. You should definitely talk to these folks. I said, but don't do anything until you talk to me. Mm-hmm. And we got together, and uh, Elliot and I are talking into the room, walks his two sons, and I realized at the back of my uh, brain is that there was my business continuity plan. Mm-hmm. And uh, that prompted uh, about a year and a half of discussion, and ultimately uh, we uh, merged our two businesses. And we've been operating physically together for a year and a half and financially for about two years now.
0: Okay, great. Um, and so you mentioned the the lifetime service promise, I think is what how you phrased it. Um, just explain why that's so important to you.
1: Life insurance products are it, it, it's not a commodity that one can buy and put it into a drawer and forget about it until mm-hmm. I die.
0: Sure.
1: Um, you, you need to look at the policy periodically to make certain, number one, that the carrier has kept its promises relative to the original sales illustration
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, historically they haven't uh, and and it's no fault of the insurance companies is that interest rates for the last 30 years have dropped and so the interest that was supposed to have been earned by the policy is much mm-hmm. lower now and when you have a lower interest rate it, it, that means something has to give and it's generally uh, the performance of the policy declines so the Uh, service that's required is that an agency such as ours has to meet with the clients periodically, not necessarily to uh, fix the the problem, Mm -hmm. but make sure that the client is informed and understands what the issue is. And then they can make an informed decision as to whether or not they're going to pay additional funds into the policy, let it run out on its own and risk that they may die before uh, the policy Mm -hmm. terminates, uh, or maybe cut down on the death benefit in order to to bolster it up. So they need to look at it periodically. That's the traditional life insurance policy. There's a new generation of policies out there called variable life. Not Mm -hmm. that new, but uh, been around for about 25 years. And those, the performance of the policy, are geared and run with uh, the equity markets. Mm -hmm. So if you put your premium dollars, the money you pay into the life insurance policy, into a series of investment accounts, uh, if those investment accounts do well, the good news is you can pay less into the policy. Mm -hmm. If they do poorly, such as 2008, then all of a sudden clients get a big awakening and and they've got Mm -hmm. to take another look at it. So our job is a service-oriented firm is to make certain that the client is continually aware of what's going on with the policies. My experience is that they understand when I'm meeting with them, and then about three days later they forgot what I said, (laughs) and then it's not until we meet two or three years later to review it again that they go, oh yeah, now I I remember.
2: Uh,
1: So that's really important, and we do that. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've been doing it, my dad did it with his his father's clients, I've done it with my dad's clients, Mm -hmm. uh, my uh, retired partner's clients, And now uh, I'm making the rounds with uh, Andrew and Dove Robinson, uh, and they will ultimately be doing it with my clients.
0: Yeah, I think that's really important to note about your sort of service-oriented agency is that you are keeping up with these clients and you're saying that, you know, we're going to get you this life insurance policy and we're going to help you watch it, you know, throughout its uh, term. And, you know, that's sort of something I never thought about before is you sort of think like i just you know have a life insurance policy and you know i'll die and someone else will make a claim on it but that's really not what you should be doing i think it's um when we were listening to you earlier what really struck me is um the emphasis that you all were putting on advocating for your clients and you um share are there other things that you guys do as well
1: well sure when when we're fortunate enough that a client says yes i'd like to buy some of that life insurance (laughs) Um, we go through what's called the underwriting process, and we have to gather the client's medical records, financial records, uh, and then lifestyle records, which oh. typically giving report. Okay, and yeah, if, it's if like they how do, do you quantify a yeah, lifestyle? and if they do any dangerous activities, okay. you know, like flying or
2: mm-hmm. things
1: like that. And we have to present those to an underwriter who decides whether this individual is a great risk an OK risk or a lousy risk mm-hmm. or, well, we just don't want to take this risk at all. Uh-huh. And unless it's an immediate great risk, mm-hmm. uh, we're advocating for a client. So it comes down to a cover letter with all the paperwork that goes all over the internet now, but it goes mm-hmm. to the underwriter's desk. And then the um, nice thing about this M financial arrangement is we can pick up the telephone,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and
1: I can actually talk to the underwriter. And get through pretty easily yeah. so you
0: have relationships built up with all these insurance e-
1: exactly providers. and we have relationships with the underwriters mm-hmm. um, most of that relationship is uh, with our staff with the underwriter because otherwise i'd be on the phone all the time mm-hmm, right. talking to the wrong people yeah. but uh, on occasion i do pick up the phone and talk to the underwriter uh, and we advocate uh, on behalf of our client and and um, it, it, it can be on the medical front.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, it can be on the financial front, where you have to explain why they're why are they buying this much insurance when when they're only earning this much money, and explain behind the scenes what's going on, mm-hmm. and 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 having that access to the underwriter through the M financial relationship, uh, our co-op is 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 very very uh, important. And beneficial to our clients
0: mm-hmm. and when you're talking about lifestyle reports I had this vision in my head there's a Ben Stiller movie where he is like an insurance salesman and he's dealing with this like CEO who like loves to jump off of planes and so he's like falling around being like stop jumping off of planes so is that what you guys do you' just like getting people to stop jumping well, off of planes I,
1: I had one client who had a hobby of uh, flying mm-hmm. uh, jets from the 1950s and stuff like that Uh and he 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 had a collection of these things Uh and uh that was not fun to underwrite him yeah and uh another time the same guy we're going through underwriting (laughs) and uh he informed me that he was signed up for the uh intergalactic uh airlines that that we couldn't buy him any life insurance yeah that's
0: i was going to ask are there people that you just can't get life insurance for i think that was why he was trying to get him to stop jumping off of planes in the movie because he was like we can't give you life insurance if you're going to do this well
1: the guy who signed up for the the space flight we (laughs) could not get life insurance on but this was a long time ago today i think (laughs) we can do that um
0: okay (laughs) yeah. yeah so you've been in the insurance industry for a long time you have this family history of being in the insurance industry so and I imagine there's been, you know, a lot of changes between technological advances and uh, people's life expectancies are changing. So, so, what are some of the biggest changes that you've seen um, in the industry?
1: Well, sure. There's a few. Um, one, there's about half as many life insurance companies today oh, really? as there were when I started, and that was uh, uh, that was actually predicted that that was occurring with consolidation and so forth. Sure. Uh, that's number one. Number two, which I alluded to is that insurance companies used to recruit and train an agent force that would represent the Mm -hmm. insurance company. Companies said, well, gee, it's more profitable for us to find an Alan Kaplan Mm
2: -hmm. who will
1: just sell to us directly who we don't have to train and spend all that money on. Yeah. And and so they've turned from an agency company to a brokerage company, dealing Mm -hmm. with insurance producers who represent their clients. There are still uh, three or four insurance companies out there that have an agency system where they're still training these people, uh, but they, they lock them up. And so what what's going on in the insurance world today is that uh, there are fewer and fewer insurance producers out there. The last figure that I saw the average age for the licensed insurance producer was like 62 years old. And so that means... <laughs> There aren't any young people selling insurance anymore. So if a young person is looking to get uh, into a a business Mm -hmm. uh, where he or she can be the boss and start a business with very little capital, if any, uh, the insurance industry is a great place to go. Uh, The field is wide open. Uh, For a young person, there is like zero competition. Um, You know, a 25- or 30-year-old that's okay for the point of sale, but where's my lifetime of service? Right, And uh, that's the other thing is that you know we're a firm and always have been a firm. Uh, we, we have people behind the, the, the producers mm-hmm. that are making sure that the service component actually happens. And then uh, we've always taken care to make sure that there's a young person behind yeah. us to make sure it happens. And the problem today is that there are very few firms out there. There's individuals. Really. And uh, it's really important to deal with a firm to make sure that that, that service yeah. continues. When the world changes, the insurance industry is pretty quick at responding with new products and and work very well for a while. And then all of a sudden, the world changes again, and the, the, those products get, kind of get pushed aside and a new product comes aboard. Sure. So, you know, when I first started, they had all these guaranteed products. And when interest rates Uh, skyrocketed with double-digit inflation Uh, those products didn't look good anymore Mm -hmm. then they went to interest-sensitive products that tied into interest rates so with high interest rates these products look great Mm -hmm. those products don't look so hot anymore then in the 80s when they started going down the interest sensitive products variable life came out Mm -hmm. and as you know in the late 80s and 90s the stock market just exploded in this country mm-hmm. those products look great yeah. and then in 2001 we had a crash in 2007 we had a crash mm-hmm. eight so those products have gone passe and then uh, most recently they have guaranteed products are back mm-hmm. and now uh, what we call index products where uh, there's a, a rate of return tied to equities but they put a, a, a collar on it with a guaranteed minimum and a guaranteed maximum and those products are now in vogue. So uh, things keep changing, but the, the, every time there's a change, you kind of look back and see the old products didn't look so bad after <laughs> yeah. all. So.
0: I'm learning that as an insurance agent, you sort of have all these different balls that you have to juggle to make sure that you're keeping up with the markets and different insurance availabilities. Is there one thing that you're like always watching or looking to that people maybe don't think that an insurance salesman is always looking at?
1: My father, who's mm-hmm. a super successful fellow, what made him successful was he understood tax law and how insurance could be used to deliver real value Mm -hmm. to clients. And that broke open the door for what we call universal life or these interest sensitive policies. Mm -hmm. And it changed the game. And the game changed from if you wanted to be really successful in this business, you had to know the tax law to if you really wanted to be successful in this business, you had to understand the complexities of these new computer-generated insurance products. And so I came in at that point. So my dad and I as a team, we were formidable because he (laughs) had the tax law down, uh, I had the product down. Uh, Today, uh, you still need to know these products. You need to know Mm -hmm. them inside out. And some of them are so complex that the insurance producers don't really understand them
2: okay. and
1: uh, some of these are so complex those are the ones I shy away from
2: mm-hmm.
1: because I uh, can find it has all these zingers in there right that you never thought about so
2: mm-hmm.
1: know they product is, is still very important
0: yeah right? and especially since they're always changing you always are having to keep yourself up to date all the time yeah. yeah yeah so um one thing I always ask our guests which we you sort of alluded to before is I ask if There's, you know, a young aspiring professional who wants to get into the insurance industry. Uh, What would be your advice to them? It sort of sounds like, you know, just jump into it because there's a lot of space for it. But is there any other advice that you would give them? Yeah,
1: there's a a couple of alternative career paths that that someone could take. One is uh, to find one of these companies that has an agency system Mm -hmm. where they actually train the individual to, one, understand how the sales process works and understand how they're...
0: Uh, right, yeah, li- because it sounds like there's not really, it's not like you go get a college degree in insurance. insurance. So, That's, you know, you have the accounting background, um, which I'm sure is helpful as well. It's
1: one route. Mm-hmm. The other route, uh, go in as a, uh, what we call an illustration specialist. Okay. And uh, go in in the role of running uh, computer-generated insurance illustrations. Mm-hmm. And there, when I said a few minutes ago, know thy product, Mm -hmm. that's how you learn the product. Right. And so you can go that route Mm -hmm. and uh, learn the product by running the illustrations. Mm -hmm. And then at that point, if you've got the gumption, uh, you can either uh, maybe get a position with that firm and carry a briefcase for a while Mm -hmm. or uh, go out and uh, make calls on your own. Or maybe you go to the Back to the agency system, you'd have a leg up on all the other people there. Uh, maybe go to an insurance company, work there for a while.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but yeah. that's you gotta how you find get,
0: a way to get your foot in the door, get that basic knowledge yeah. that you need about insurance. Yeah. Okay, and then I have an additional question, also geared towards like young aspiring professionals. So I like to think that I'm working my way towards being an affluent, educated individual. So. Like when should I start thinking about things like my life insurance?
1: Someone who is uh, either single, married, uh, without children,
0: mm-hmm.
1: or or any other economic uh, needs, if something happened to them, sure. or the one with children. Mm-hmm. So, if you don't have children.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, a good insurance producer is going to ask you other questions and, and ask you about your parents mm-hmm. or siblings and so on. So uh, oftentimes, mom and dad did not save well for retirement, and they're okay now, but the reality of it is in 10 or 20 years, they're going to run out of money,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I'm going to be sandwiched in between them and my children, right. and and they'll be dependent on me. So a good insurance producer would say, well, you know, something you might want to consider is carrying some insurance for the benefit of your folks that, God forbid, something happened to you and they lose you, they Mm -hmm. won't run out of money in 20 years. So you can buy, as a young person, a lot of life insurance. So a million-dollar policy on someone in in his or her 20s may cost $300 a year for a million bucks. Mm -hmm what the heck? Yeah. You know, I mean, so why wouldn't you buy that?
2: Mm-hmm. But if
1: you don't have a need, I don't see any reason to buy.
2: Okay. okay?
1: Um, and then likewise, if you're young and you're starting a family, in my opinion,
2: mm-hmm.
1: is that uh, you can't have too much insurance.
2: Okay.
1: And to be able to afford it, the uh, term is generally the route that you would go. Mm-hmm. But with that said, you know, there's some higher earning people out there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, number one, you should always fill up your qualified retirement plans first—say, 401k, uh, IRA, wh- whatever else is up there. Okay. Uh, take the tax benefits up front. Mm-hmm. If you've completely maxed out in that arena, then uh, maybe you you would then consider uh, permanent insurance. Mm-hmm. Uh, but f- the first and foremost is make sure you have enough coverage. And the easiest way to do that is say, gee, $300 a million, I, I could, I'll take $10 million. And And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so for $3,000 a year, you can buy a $10 million policy. You can protect your family. You can protect your parents. Mm-hmm. You could protect your insurance producer, too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So during our conversation, I'm really seeing the benefit of having someone like you who can sort of manage these different things between thinking about retirement and your insurance plans and, you know, also being able to talk to the insurance providers as well. Um, I think this advocacy is really important. Um, So as you've been doing this for a while, what is the most um, like interesting or memorable uh, case or thing that's happened to you while you were in the business of insurance?
1: i just found interesting is that a guy was buying and he's actually one of my favorite clients and uh, gave him the paperwork and i said uh, i'll I'll come back and get this and uh, he handed it to me and he goes you know he said all this paperwork asking me all these questions they didn't ask the most important question me Uh and my health and my lifestyle and i looked at him i go what's that and on the life insurance application, they mm-hmm. ask everything.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But what they didn't ask was, do you have health insurance? <laughs> and it dawned on me, I mean, it was it was such a great observation yeah. by this guy, is that the difference in longevity between someone who doesn't have health insurance and someone who has health insurance mm-hmm. is profound, and yet insurance companies don't ask mm-hmm. that question, and they still don't ask really? that question.
0: Do you think uh, they just assume that if you're looking at life insurance, you have, you health, have insurance, health
1: insurance? But, but as we were talking earlier today, um, we're, I'm not a uh, marketer of long-term care insurance, but we've mm-hmm. sold quite a few policies, mostly to affluent people that could self-insure that risk, no problem. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing how many claims we've had. And what what's amazing about it is that how thankful people are that when uh, someone is disabled and all of a sudden they get $10,000 monthly checks Mm -hmm. to help cover nursing care and things like that, Uh, how nice it is to have that. Even though they may have millions of dollars or tens of millions of dollars in the background, getting Mm -hmm. those checks uh, makes it very easy. Uh, That's kind of interesting. And then I guess most uh, relished moments was walking in with a check, and this goes back Thirty-some odd years ago, it mm-hmm. was a, back then a darn large check was four million dollars. Basically, paid off. It was an LBO, and paid off the debt of the guy,
2: mm-hmm.
1: who's a friend and a client. Client first, friend mm-hmm. second. And he died, and uh, I was able to walk in with that check and basically save that business from being sold. Wow, and. Uh, And then it flourished big time. It grew exponentially after that. And that's always been one of my favorite uh, little stories. And uh, the family's still a client.
0: Yeah, well, I was just thinking, um, you know, you see clients sometimes in sort of the um, most vulnerable points of their life. And that's something I didn't think about before you sort of coming in and helping them get through a tough time if a family member has died or whatever. And you're there to advocate, make sure they get their claim properly. Well, an
1: insurance guy will tell you that the only one who walks into the room with money is me
0: <laughs>
1: and you know when people are contemplating their estate planning when, when your heirs and executor are sitting around when you're gone
2: mm-hmm.
1: it's going to be a much better meeting if I'm in the room <laughs> and it, it, so having the insurance as a component of one's estate plan it, it, and having that extra liquidity there is, is a really good thing
0: yeah, um, and so I have one final question, sort of wrap up. What is the sort of uh, one thing you would want your clients to know um, before they go into, like, getting their insurance?
1: The process that one goes through from the point of saying yes
0: mm-hmm.
1: to actually becoming insured for larger face amounts, the, the length of time to get the coverage is now longer than it used to be the primary reason for that is the uh, computerization of medical records mm-hmm. for some reason all these medical records get shipped out to some storage house someplace and being able to access those uh it takes a month or two
2: okay
1: so when we're talking to someone we prep them up front it's going to take a couple months mm-hmm. and it's all because of getting your medical records is very difficult. Um, Youngsters, when we're talking to them, Mm -hmm. uh, they have a choice. They can go the traditional route where we're carefully going through and gathering their medical records that comes to our office. We Mm -hmm. handle it. We get tentative approval without applying for the insurance. Mm -hmm. So they're never on record if they got rated or declined they could truthfully say i've never been rated or declined because they've never submitted an application mm-hmm. or they can say i don't want to wait two months for the insurance let's do it the new way and that's over the computer mm-hmm. and you can get this thing done generally in about two weeks mm-hmm. uh, but it, once we start the ball rolling it's totally out of my hands uh-huh. and if bad things come up in underwriting it they're also out of my hands so we prep them in, yeah. in that fashion So
0: just realize it's not a just. One walk in one meeting, you've got life insurance when your meeting's over. Exactly, <laughs> young
1: people today, you know, they're so
0: we like our instant gratification. To, uh, everything
1: that happens instantly mm-hmm. off their phone or their their desktop, uh, that doesn't happen yet in the life insurance industry.
0: All right. So unless you have any final parting words or anything else you want to cover, um, I think we're going to wrap up. So, Alan, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I really enjoyed our conversation.
1: I did too. Thank you very much. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Bridging Chicago, as produced by the SATC Solution Center. As always, feel free to reach out to us on social media with your comments and suggestions. You can email us at solutioncenter at Find us on Twitter and Instagram, where our handle is at Bridging Chicago. And don't forget to rate, subscribe, and comment on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to this podcast. Nothing contained in this podcast shall constitute financial, investment, legal, and or professional advice. No professional relationship of any kind is created between you and the podcast host or guests. You are urged to speak with your financial, investment, or legal advisors before making any investment or legal decisions. Furthermore, the opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the opinions of the SATC Solutions Center, Shankanis Tepper Campbell, or any of its employees. This podcast is created by the host and guests' individual capacities. All opinions on this podcast are or have been rendered based on specific facts under certain conditions and are subject to certain assumptions and may not and should not be used or relied upon for any other purpose including but not limited to or use in or in connection with any investment purposes or legal proceeding.